0: I'm like, okay, well, what's responsible mean? All right, I'll buy a house or I'll buy some land.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with Tam Thurgood who not only has dipped her foot in property investment but has also worked for the Air Force Growing up on the Sunshine Coast, she found herself investing in renovating properties across different states and also discovering commercial property allowing her to be financially free. Tam Thorogood delves into why she became an assistant project manager as well as being a property investor.
0: Part-time, two and a half days per week. And there's sort of a reason I'm, I'm doing that. It's uh, for a future development of my own properties. I wanted to learn the ropes. So yeah, I, I thought that was the best thing to do. So I'm studying a double diploma in construction and project management and landed myself a little two and a half day a week job.
1: Thorgood goes on to explain what a typical day in her life looks like.
0: Any given day, I generally start with either exercise or some sort of meditation and journaling then I'll do one of two things. I'll go off to my part-time job um, and learn the ropes of development or I'll work on my own property management of my um, commercial portfolio or I'll do a bit of study.
1: Before learning the ropes about property development, Thoroughgood shares with us a little bit about her upbringing.
0: I grew up on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, so a really lovely part of the world. I went to, to school here as well. Um, And I stayed on the coast till I was about 19 years old. And then I went and joined the Air Force for three years, which took me to Sydney and Canberra.
1: That's fascinating. And so you you finished school and you went straight into the army. Is that what happened? Or did you actually take some time off and do something else?
0: Look, I had a couple of little jobs, um, one in a bakery, one in a club, just sort of doing catering and bar work while I sort of decided what it was I wanted to do. And... I actually, it was the Air Force I actually ended up going into. So, while I was waiting for the process of being accepted, just had a few little jobs that kind of gave me some pocket money and then, yeah, got accepted in and did three years in in the Air Force.
1: What was the process involved? Is it the similar process where you apply for, say, a university degree or is it completely different?
0: There's two ways you can join the forces. One is by being a non-commissioned officer. So, that's where people who want to do a trade or be trained by the forces for, let's say, if you want to be a cook um, or work in warehousing or be a supplier or to go through a tertiary kind of process, that's when you look at becoming an officer and you go into Duntroon and Canberra. So I chose just to go in as a supplier. Uh, But yeah, there are both options, yeah.
1: And she chose the option to be a supplier. Thurgood elaborates why she made this decision.
0: It's stores, warehousing... Um, dangerous goods handling. So we supplied Army, Air Force, Navy with every part or piece of equipment you could imagine from from a microchip to a piece of sort of plumbing equipment. So that's how it was run back then, whether it's still like that, I'm not sure. But, yeah, the the warehouse I worked in was 800 metres long.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, it sounds like a little mini factory there in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. So what
1: interested you about the Air Force? Because I'm sure that there were so many other options out there. Why
0: particularly the Air Force? It's funny you mentioned that. I think I had a mindset from, a, from my family as well, get a good job, get a stable pay, be set for life. And the Air Force interested me because... I wasn't really an office type person and I knew I could go into the Air Force doing something that, that wasn't sort of sitting at a desk.
1: When was this roughly? Which time frame I guess or timeline?
0: Uh, 25 years ago. Hang on. Yeah, I was yeah, 20. I'm 48.
1: <laughs> good. explains how she was influenced to get into the Air Force following high school.
0: I think from memory, they came around and did a talk like a careers education kind of talk.
1: Over three years, uh, obviously, being in the Air Force, you would have been flying planes. Uh, is that what you're trained up to do?
0: I was supporting the people who flew the planes. Let's let, run with that.
1: After her years of training in the Air Force, Thurgood picked up vital skills and work habits.
0: It definitely as a young person set me up with some, some great work ethics. Um, you know, you showed up every day, you showed up on time, there was a hierarchy, you understood uh, discipline, respect, all those um, those qualities that really help you through as you get older. And it really got me every job I ever really went for. It, um, not only does it, it look good on your resume, that wasn't the reason I joined the Air Force, but, you know, people do know that you have to have certain standards to last in the Air Force or or any service. So yeah, it it really served me well and set me up well for for ongoing employment and just general decision-making in life.
1: Thorogood had an interest in property investment from a young age but also had influences from her parents.
0: I had interest in property um, I guess early 20s and to think back on how my parents might have influenced that, they actually used to own and operate pubs. So as a kid, I, I actually grew up in a, in a pub which the, in those days the, the house was attached to the pub, so it was kind of cool, I thought. Um, and every Saturday I would run out around the bar and pick up all the ones and two cent pieces. So I had a fascination with money from a young age, not necessarily property, but I, that, that shifted into property later on when, um, when my mum and I had a conversation actually and she told me to uh, become responsible and I, I didn't really know what that meant but I figured buying buying land or buying a house is a responsible thing to do so that's what I did. After
1: working in the Air Force, Thorogood found herself in other kinds of jobs before plunging into property investment.
0: After that, I, I discharged from, um, from the services in, in Canberra and I saw an ad in a paper just while I was having a morning coffee which was for... PMG, so Postmaster General, which now we know as Telstra, and of course I was looking for an outside type work um, or a physical type of job, and it was for the first intake of female lines persons in sort of the history of, of PMG, so I applied for that and, and got that job. So for everyone who's sort of listening, what that means is I was the person in the street uh, hauling the cable in the exchange, connecting your telephone up a pole, sort of hanging, putting wires together, that type of thing. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's where I went to after after the forces, and that was really good.
1: Wow. So PMG. I, honestly, I don't remember that name. I remember. Telecom Australia or something like that.
0: So that was PMG was before telecom. So PMG was uh, included the, the Australia Post as we know it now. They separated and went to uh, telecom.
1: Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> then from telecom, it went through to Telstra. So I spent 13 years in, um, in Telstra as we know it now. Um, and that's really where I started my property journey is when I was working for them. Thurgood
1: shares with us the details inside her Telstra job before making her way into the property investment world.
0: Now you'd know it as a technician, so the person who you know comes fixes your broadband, that sort of thing. So I did that sort of for about the first seven years, and then I just progressed into management. Um, so initially, sort of a team of 13, and then a team of 25, and then eventually up to um, 130 staff. I ran Far North Queensland for for a couple of years. So I just progressed through the ranks. And a an awesome company to work for. Um, they they're very supportive in in um, not not only paying you well, but training you well and teaching you lots of uh, lots of really good technical things and good management courses. So yeah, that was a great place for me to flourish and learn how the corporates of the world work.
1: After fifteen years, what happened from there?
0: I got to the stage where I was able to leave that job to do property renovating full time. So, yeah, I made the decision. I, I Myself and another business partner um, decided, yep, it's time to go. So um, I did that and I was renovating part-time throughout Telstra pretty much my entire career. Um, and then it was, yeah, it was time to go. So that's how we sort of shifted into full-time property renovating.
1: Coming up after the break, we'll take a look at exactly how Tam Thorogood started her property investment journey.
0: I'm like, okay, well, what's responsible mean? All right, I'll buy a house or I'll buy some land.
1: How she has built up her impressive portfolio over the years.
0: The first stretch of my property career, I guess, was buying really poor houses in an okay spot and renovate, renovating and pulling out some equity or selling them and moving on. So I literally did that for about 15 years and I would have done about 15 properties during that time.
1: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Before becoming the successful property investor she is, got delves into her first property that gave her a little taste of investing.
0: When I was 20, my mum said to me, "I bought a motorbike, as you do when you're that age." And my mum said to me, <laughs> "That's ridiculous. You know, be responsible." And like I said before, I'm like, "Okay, well, what's responsible mean?" All right, I'll buy a house or I'll buy some land. And I had a look around and realised the only thing I could afford was a block of land, which was just um, where I currently was renting. So. Yeah, bought that block of land for, I think, $40,000. And then I thought, this is pretty good. Yeah, I like this. So I sort of kept looking at land, and I bought another block for $10,000 because I still couldn't afford a house, but I could afford those two blocks um, in the hope that they would double, as stories sort of were told back in those days. If you hold property, it'll double, and, and it did for me. So I sold those two blocks, and I bought my first house.
1: And whereabouts was that?
0: One was in... The block of land was in Coulomb Beach. The second block of land was in a really small town outside of Miraburra in Queensland called Boonaroo. And then my first house... Gosh, I should remember. Um, (laughs) My first house was in um, Fishman's Paradise down in New South Wales.
1: From Sunshine Coast down to New South Wales... How come the the I guess the distance between those two was it because you moved to New South Wales for a period of time
0: to put the timeline on it once I um, discharged from the forces in Canberra itself and I started work with with Telecom um, I bought the land back up in the Sunshine Coast because that was kind of my home and I knew the area and I thought I'll always go back there um, and then I was still down obviously in Canberra New South Wales and and that's when I bought my house down there so. So yeah, Telstra um, posted me around a lot. So my strategy was I just bought the worst house I could find in a kind of okay street and I'd renovate it in my spare time.
1: The Sunshine Coast has always been home for Thorogood. But what was the intention to buy land there?
0: The intention was the dream of having a block of land in a place that I loved and one day I would build on it. That's the thoughts I was having when I was 20.
1: And did that come to, to reality?
0: Well, no, I mean, I had no strategy at that point. You know, I I didn't even think about the vehicle of property to get to wealth. It was just like, oh, if I work really hard, you know, one day I can come back and I know I'll have this block of land that I've bought and I can hold it forever and at least I'll live back where I love.
1: That sounds amazing. And you've invested in quite a lot of properties from residential, commercial, and land and so forth. So, in total, how large is your portfolio at this point in time?
0: Right now, my portfolio is eight. That consists of where I live, um, three vendor finance residential units. So, I'm the vendor finance um, person and then the rest, the balance is commercial.
1: You've also done quite a number of renovations and sold different houses and units. Can you tell us a little bit about how many you've done there?
0: The first stretch of my property career, I guess, was buying really poor houses in an okay spot and renovate renovating and pulling out some equity or selling them and moving on. So I literally did that for about 15 years and I would have done about 15 properties during that time.
1: Gosh, that's a lot.
0: After that, when I uh, met up with a friend and we became business partners, we moved into a similar strategy. However, we made sure there was some a little bit more value add. And what I mean by value add would be we could subdivide that block or demolish the house and maybe put on a duplex as opposed, to, um, as opposed to just a single house. So we did about six or seven of those together as well. And that was in that first sort of stage of my property career. And then, yeah, things after that, global financial crisis kind of came along and I wasn't financially prepared. So I went back to work and had to think about, What strategy might get me a little bit further ahead than that one?
1: After remembering the GFC, Thorogood shares one of her worst investing moments that she ultimately learned a life lesson from.
0: One really big lesson was in the time when um, we had the boom from mining towns and everyone was buying up in mining towns and For whatever reason, I thought because I'd been successful in doing some renovations and making money that way, that I could just buy any kind of property and it would be fine because I knew what I was doing and that completely wasn't the case. I purchased a property in a small town in WA called Newman and the mining company um, was going to rent it back off me. Now that property purchase wasn't subject to finance. However, I was getting my portfolio revalued, so the bank still wanted to do a valuation. Now, the hype of the market had had the, the banks doing desktop valuations back then for, for whatever reason. And for some lucky reason for me, the ANZ Bank drove out and cited that property for me. And they gave me a call and they said, have you seen this property? And I said, no, I've, I've seen pictures. That's all I've seen. And he said, well, what are you expecting? I said, well, I'm expecting a upmarket demountable with a pool, fully air conditioned, three bedroom. And he said, well, that's not what you're getting. There is no pool. There is no air conditioning. It's a demountable sitting on a dirt block. And I went, wow. Okay. So, That was a very nervous moment for me because the contract was unconditional at that stage. Like I said, he was just revaluing my portfolio. So I kind of went, wow, what am I going to do here? So I rang the person who was selling it to me and we had some pretty interesting conversation. And the upshot of of a lot of to and fro was that he ended up buying that back off me. Um yeah, in this circumstance, So yeah, huge, huge lesson of two things. One, just because you do a few sort of good property transactions doesn't mean you know everything. And two, stick to your strategy.
1: <laughs> How did you find this particular property in the first place that you know there's you thought there was opportunity in there?
0: Yeah, with the mining boom they were, they were everywhere really. If you were looking to invest and in trying to get uh, positive cash flow property, Really, all you had to do is look in a mining town and it was available. You, we were sort of buying properties that were costing 300000 and you could rent them back to a mining company for $600 a week so it was right in, in the middle of the boom.
1: Despite Thorogood's bad luck with this particular property, she explains what happened with the valuation.
0: Thankfully, at that time, I had enough equity in my portfolio and, and it was okay but I didn't want to be left with a property that wasn't worth what I thought it was going to be worth So, I really needed to get out of it, not proceed somehow Um, and like I said, ended up selling it back to the guy who I I bought it off. Um, Thankfully otherwise, yeah, it would be a few hundred thousand down the drain. I I, I couldn't see any way forward or any value that that property would hold moving forward given the the condition of it.
1: I'm just curious why the person who sold it to you was able to buy back off you. (laughs) That's very interesting.
0: I think he was nervous given that what he'd tried to sell me was not what he had sold me and I'm sure it wasn't his first time. So, yeah, I, I brought out my angry voice. <laughs> Thankfully it did, yeah, but it was it was a really uncertain time and it, and, and it really was a really big error on my part to buy something sight unseen, rely on a photo and just think that everything would be okay. <laughs>
1: Even with the hiccups along her property journey, Thurgood shares the moment where everything clicked for her.
0: About 10 years ago, I did a Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, International Investing course, I think it was called. Um, It was a nine-month course. And at the very beginning of that course, we had to fill out a very basic assets and liabilities sheet, just a a one-pager. And as I filled that out, I saw the number that was left at the bottom, which was negative $795 a month. And I was quite shocked because I had a portfolio worth a few million dollars. And I kind of went, wow, what what am I doing if I'm trying to retire from cash flow from property? And that made a huge, a huge difference in the way I looked at my portfolio at that time, which At that point, I started selling my properties that were negatively geared because for me, I determined I wanted cash flow and I wanted cash flow from day one. I didn't want to rely on a tax return. I didn't want to rely on depreciation and all the things that go along with that. I wanted it in my pocket from day one.
1: And the aha moment behind that?
0: My partner was renting a commercial building and the owner had always said, hey, anytime you want to buy this building let me know so i said how about you ask how much they want so we asked the purchase price i ran some numbers on how much rent we were paying and i looked at the bottom line and i went if i buy this my negative 7.95 goes to 1,000 per month and i just went oh my god what have i been doing all this time it was yeah i was just like i felt like blind freddie because the the numbers were staring me in the face and I was still choosing to sort of ignore them in the past, yeah. Dropped big time, big time.
1: So, what happened next then from that from that aha moment? Where did you go to actually make changes?
0: I did buy that property. Um, I sold two other residential properties uh, that I had that I couldn't see any way forward to make them positive cash flow and then I... The three units that I said I had under vendor finance, that was the way I made them positive cash flow. So that's almost, uh, actually it's better returns than I get from my commercial properties at the moment. So they were kept because I could make them positive.
1: Very good. goes into depth about what exactly is vendor financing and how it works.
0: I act kind of like the bank if you think of it that way. Basically I put those three properties up for sale. Under the proviso that if someone couldn't get a bank loan for some reason, whether they had defaulted or been bankrupt in the past, but they now had a good income or they'd had a bad credit rating from something really minor, it meant that I would say, okay, I will lend you the money to purchase this property for an interest rate like a bank's interest rate.
1: So you would probably make a margin on top of the bank rate as well, too? Would that be the case?
0: They can – I'm making a margin on, um, on mine. Some, some do, some don't. But in my situation, yeah, I, I make 2% more than what a bank would charge and you just agree on a current variable rate or a fixed rate. And I also make a full rate on the gap. Now, when I say the gap, for example, the property costs 700000 Because I'm selling it to them and we're settling in the future, I've sold it to them for a million dollars so I'm also earning interest on the $300,000 gap.
1: As vendor financing deals are not commonly discussed, she explains why she has been involved with them.
0: I knew one one of my mentors had done it quite a while ago and had mentioned it to me. Um, Yeah, I agree. It's not something that's common particularly in Queensland. It it is pretty common I'm led to believe in, in southern states in Victoria. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of, I read a book, how to buy a house for a dollar, I think it was.
1: Oh, by Rick Otter.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it has some uh, similar concepts in there. And I went, I, light Bob came on and I looked into vendor finance and I thought I'm going to do this. So I did sort of kiss a few toads along the way to get the final, the final person who did take up the, the property under vendor finance terms, but it was well worth it.
1: So how long have you had th- those deals, those three deals on the vendor financing for now?
0: A little over three years now.
1: Great. When does it expire?
0: It's a 30-year loan term so another 27 years. As long as as long as long they don't sell, I'm happy.
1: Do you see those type of people selling up or are they happy just to continue to I guess look at owning it out um, eventually? Is that basically the whole idea that they're almost renting to, to buyers in that sense, is that right?
0: Yeah, it is similar to Rent to Buy. It was an investor who bought these ones, so I I believe that, you know, it, his strategy is to buy and hold because it is in a uh, medium-density residential area and it is just three units, uh, single storey. So that's his initial, um, his initial plan. Whether that changes in the future, you know, who knows. But in the meantime, you know, the, the longer he hangs on to that, the, the happier I am.
1: Inspired by Tam Thoroughgood's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory where we'll talk about how to implement her strategy or I should say multiple strategies that have influenced her to involve in the game.
0: I broke down how much money I needed to replace my income and then how much money I thought I needed to live a comfortable life from assets in, in, in property. So I worked really hard to change my portfolio around.
1: The personal habits and mindset she set out to achieve to be at the top of her game.
0: Less is more. So yeah, I've got time and and less is more. I felt that I had to be busy to be achieving and we all know that's totally not the case.
1: And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.